it's just not what we are here to do is attendance. We got to remember that Jesus never invited a single person to church. And so it obviously isn't church attendance that Jesus was pointing us towards. And I think God wants us to touch hearts. The problem is, is that we got bills to pay. We got that, that stupid building with that leak. And then all the, when that boiler goes out, we'll have to close the church. Like, I mean, stuff like that. That's what's weighing on the minds of our church leaders. And, you know, that's tough. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burke, the Education Director and the Northeast Director. And with me is the incomparable, Mm. the amazing, Mm. the fabulous Benjamin Tapper from our Indianapolis office. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. I think you finally landed on a good adjective by the third one. So I appreciate you working through that. (laughs) My pleasure. I wouldn't want to leave you feeling down because I didn't give you the proper, what's the word? Uh, Kudos. Glamour, glory. Kudos, Appalachians. Appalachians? Not the mountains, but yeah. Didn't know you could use Appalachians in that way. Well, it's a different spelling. Ah, okay. It's one of those words that sounds the same, but is spelled differently. Nice. For your daily grammar lesson, here's Matt Burke. (laughs) (laughs) You know me, grammar and etymology. (laughs) Right. Even though I have no background in either other than Google searches. They're they're hobbies. Well, hey, we're glad you're here, everybody. This episode, we are going to have an interview with Rob Dyer, who is with Ministry Architects and wrote a couple of articles that I found really interesting. Those articles are linked in the show notes, and I'd encourage you to read those. We do talk about the subject matter of those articles, but the articles themselves are really interesting, something that can be used as a resource, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But kind of the core of this is thinking about why does your congregation exist, at least for me, kind of the core of the conversation. And Ben, as you listen through, I know you weren't part of the conversation, you weren't part of the interview, but as you listen through the interview, what cropped up as kind of the core message for you? Yeah, I think the core message was we got to answer some basic questions about ourselves as communities, both in terms of why we come, why we come to the service on Sunday or Friday or whenever your service is. But also, once we're there, what our purpose is as well, like what is holding us together, not only what is bringing us into this building, into this virtual space, but what is keeping us here. So I felt like Rob can consistently brought that question up in different ways throughout the interview. Yeah. And where do you see this kind of question or thought process popping up in your conversations with congregations around Indiana, especially central Indiana? You know, I don't uh, I don't know that I hear it a lot. Mm -hmm. I think there was some degree of it. In 2020, when the pandemic first hit, and we saw a rush of congregations answering that question or trying to answer it through recommitting to racial justice or community ministry for communities that were hard hit due to the pandemic and social services Mm -hmm. being cut off. I think there were actions taken as a result of that question, but I don't know to what degree congregations were then or are now actively reflecting on kind of the roots of that question. Why are we here? What is keeping us here? There seem to still be a lot of assumptions that are operating. Congregations, congregational leaders seem to have returned to those assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I understand it's comfortable. It, we all want some semblance of normalcy after these crazy two and a half years. And yet in the interview, I heard Rob biting us deeper. Yeah. And the same for me that it, in many cases, is the question behind the question that as I've worked with congregations almost eight years now at the center, It's not explicit, but I think it's implicit in a lot of the conversations that I have, a lot of the challenges that congregations are facing. They are wrapped around the idea of why do we exist? Why are we here? And I think a lot of congregations haven't necessarily taken the time to answer that question. And I have great sympathy for that. I understand how busy congregational life is and how just getting the day-to-day, the week-to-week put together 
I understand how it's incredibly difficult to move all the way back and say, okay, but why do we do all of these things? And that's one of the great opportunities of the pandemic that I think we have is that it has shaken up the church, the congregational life in such a way that a lot of people are beginning to ask that question. Why are we here and how do we continue to do the things that we have done? Why are they important? I had a congregation recently talk about they have someone from Ohio that is attending their congregation and that person wants to get baptized. And so they've got to rethink their theology of baptism or at least think through what it means. Like, how do we appropriately do the sacrament of baptism at a distance? Mm. And it's a question that you didn't really have to deal with before. But then that makes you ask the why questions, the deeper questions, like what is important about baptism? What are the aspects of the sacrament that are key and critical? And how do we do it in a way that honors this person becoming a part of the faith community through this action? And so I think that we have this opportunity that as long as we don't go back to sleep after being shaken up, we have this great opportunity to begin to ask why questions and to get back to the core of who we are as congregations and what we bring to the people who attend, as opposed to just things progressing on, thinking about the week to week, thinking about the day to day, but the bigger picture of why does this congregation exist in this specific place with these specific people? What is our purpose and what is our reason for being in our culture? I agree. And I sympathize with congregations because that's actually hard work and it requires remaining disrupted and no one wants to do that we want to return to the mean we want to let the dust settle Mm -hmm. but it can only settle so much if we're going to actually engage with these questions in an authentic way and allow our communities to be reshaped rethought reevaluated yeah and i think really that's all we need to say i think we can get into the interview now a couple things to note about the interview number one don't let this interview make you feel beat up because he's very forthright about some of the problems in congregations But he's not saying that to beat you up or to point a finger. He's saying that we need to identify, and he even says this in the interview, you can't get to point B until you know where point A is. Mm. And so he's he's identifying the problems, but please don't hear this as criticism. He's a practitioner. He is a pastor. He has great sympathy for where we are as congregational leaders. And so don't let that put you off because there's really great hope and great news in the latter part of the interview and in the second article that he wrote. Also want to note that the interview is myself and Shelly Riggs-Jordan, who's our Southeast director down in our Seymour office. So you'll hear my voice, you'll hear Pastor Rob's voice, and then you'll also hear Shelly's voice as a part of the interview. So we hope you enjoy the interview, and we'll be back to talk a little bit about the interview itself and share some resources. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Reverend Rob Dyer, who's the senior pastor at First United Presbyterian Church of Belleville, Illinois, and he also works as a consultant with Ministry Architects. So, Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. I like having, you know, good conversations with people who want to make a difference in the lives of congregations. So this is a good place for me to be today. Yeah, absolutely. And you wrote a couple of articles. The first one was entitled, They're Not Coming Back. And the second one was entitled, The Room Where It Happens. And we'll get into some of the information and thoughts behind those articles. For those who are listening, we will have a link in the show notes to those articles so that you can read through those. But just really interested in talking with you, Rob, about these. And one of the things that I appreciated about They're Not Coming Back you're not pulling any punches. (laughs) I mean, the title is very stark and you were just kind of, you know, calling it as you see it. I'm curious as to the kind of the genesis of the idea for you, where you got to these thoughts that are in the article. I was sick and tired of hearing people saying that they'll be back when these conversations that I have over and over again, whether it's, you know, in my own church setting working in the regional area or through the consulting that I'm doing, there's so many people who just kept telling this false narrative, this false story. Well, they're going to come back. Well, you know what it is, is I think that once we're back in person, they'll all come back. 
And, oh, well, I think what it is, is that people are just all zoomed out. You know, that's why. And that's why fewer people are coming back and like, well, once the Delta variant goes away, then people will come back. And, you know, I think once we stop wearing masks, then people will come back. And we just keep trading in different things. And it clicked right away for me that this is just like the way we used to talk about young adults. Mm. We just kept making up these stories that they'll come back. Well, once they get out of college, they'll come back. Well, once they get married, they'll come back. Well, once they have kids, they'll come back. Once they want their kids to be baptized, they'll come back. Well, once they want their kids to be confirmed. Well, once they want, it's like, eventually it's like, we're going to cycle around. It's like, well, once they have grandkids, then they'll come back, you know, and eventually they're not young adults anymore. And by the way, they're not coming back. They just lived 50 years without you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate the honesty in that. And I think what you're describing is just this sense of kind of kicking the can down the road and not necessarily taking responsibility for the lack of attendance or the lack of connection with local congregations. Yeah. And is that kind of the sense that you have is that those statements and the ways in which we were talking about that and the stories that we were telling ourselves, we're kind of divesting ourselves of responsibility for it. I think we really are, but let's not be too hard on our church leaders and our church folks through all this because I mean, good for them for being optimistic. I mean, really, you know, we can kind of make fun and say, oh, you're foolish for thinking that. But a lot of people within the church grew up in a system that kind of self-healed, that took care of itself, because a lot of our folks in our churches grew up in a society where, of course, you're part of a church. Mm -hmm. Of course, you belong to a church. If you don't belong to a church, you'll never be able to sell insurance in this town. You'll never be able to sell a car in this town. You'll never meet anyone. You'll have no social life. And so people who grew up in that era, it can seem ridiculous, the idea that anyone could go through life without church. But even that within that age bracket is a story that's changing there as well. There are plenty of people who are in their 70s who are taking a break from church as well, you know, and are in their 80s. So it's really no longer just sitting in one age bracket. And I think that what's come through this is that it's no longer assumed. It's no longer required. In fact, you know, the question of, oh, well, what church do you belong to is not in those standard, like four or five questions when you meet someone, what's your name? What do you do? Where do you live? What church do you go to? That's not on the list anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it just more often will generate an awkward moment where the person has to say, ah, well, uh," (laughs) you know? And so I, I just think that the context has shifted on us and we haven't changed our view. And so it's hard for us to know what the real story is. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't have to shift our view. We didn't have to change our way of doing church because it was working at least pseudo well as those societal norms were shifting around us. So do you think the pandemic just kind of kicked that idea of you have to belong to a church to have a life in this community? Do you think it just kind of shut the door on that way of thinking? I think that way of thinking actually shut down quite a while ago. And I think that what we were left with was habit. Mm. And what the pandemic did is it broke the habit. So people went to church because it's just what we do in our family. And even those numbers were dwindling. I don't know if you remember, but in 2019, all the churches weren't just kicking it with success and overflowing with, you know, vibrant ministries, right? We had a reason to worry about the future of a lot of our churches, even in 2019. But what happened was, is that a lot of our churches were living off of habit Mm. and people's patterns. And well, we should go. And so you had households where maybe, you know, the mom is still pushing for everybody to go to church. And so, you know, we used to call them the drag alongs, uh, (laughs) where it's like, you know, mom's coming And maybe she's got one kid who really enjoys church also. And then there's the other kid and the husband are the drag-alongs. And the pandemic broke the drag-along. It's like, no, I don't need to get online and watch that. And now that we started to come back, I don't need to go. I made it a whole year without going to church. And the power of persuasion to bring the drag-alongs is gone. And I think that even the effort for that mom to push the family, to get ready, to get out the door, to get in the car. It's just like, oh, forget it. I'm tired. I think we're all 
that's the other thing the pandemic did. It made us all a little tired. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We just don't have the willpower that we had. We're using it up just to navigate our way through Target. And so the idea of working so hard, oh, I just, I'll just turn on my computer and maybe I'll type in the names of all of my family members when they ask who's here, but it's really just me in the corner with my coffee because I did not want to yell at them to get out of bed. And I mean, the real stories in our households that happened the hour before that family showed up at church. Not good. Not good. And so the pandemic just broke all those habits. <laughs> and now what we're left with is I'm not coming to church because I have to because of society norms. That broke a long time ago. And now I'm not even coming out of habit. Mm-hmm. So why would I go to church now? Oh, no, it has to rely on the gospel. <laughs> and honestly, when was the last time the average church relied on the gospel for why people came to church? It's been a long time. They're coming because of our great programs. They're coming because of our great, you know, this or our great that. One of the things that I noticed over the past several years that I've been involved doing consulting work with ministry architects is that we'll go to churches and we'll do these assessments and we bring people into the room and we ask them, tell me about your church. Tell me what you love about your church. And people will tell us all sorts of things. But there's three things that I very infrequently heard anyone say. And those three things were God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Mm. I love the people. I love our youth program. Oh, our pastor is so great. Da, da, da. But why do you come to this church? Very few people ever mentioned God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. And it leaves a lot of us wondering if what we're really in charge of is a bunch of not-for-profit organizations with loose religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. And now, I man, I sound really depressing. If someone just read the first half of the first article and then heard me say that they're like, this guy's a downer. And I think I'm going to stop talking right now. So I just want to spoiler alert, the article as well as this interview is going to get better. (laughs) There's hope. Yeah. Don't turn it off just yet. Well, if we don't acknowledge our reality and we don't face the truth of where we are, we can never move past it. So I appreciate that you're naming it very, very honestly, very openly so that we can then say, okay, so here's where we are. Now, where do we go? What do we do? Oh, yeah, that's so essential. My wife is a neuropsychologist. And when she was going through grad school, she told me something that I have held on to ever since. And she said that in one of her classes on doing therapy with folks that she had a professor say, if you want to take someone from point A to point B, you have to be willing to go to point A. Mm. And that's the problem with the church. And this is the problem with false narratives and false stories that we tell one another is that we keep trying to get to point B without acknowledging what our point A is. And so we say, oh, well, the reason why people aren't here is just because, you know, this or that. Like any church that has had a low attendance Sunday It's just amazing to hear the post-game analysis that goes on. Well, you know, it was raining that day. Are you kidding me? You think people (laughs) didn't make it to church because it was raining that day? Now, don't get me wrong. I know there are some people who have difficulty walking and a little bad weather means they just don't go out. But you did not drop attendance by 20% that Sunday because it was a rainy day, you know? But when the numbers go up, Well, then it's all about what we did. Oh, Mm -hmm. you know, I really think that people must love Galatians because we did that Galatians (laughs) series for two weeks and attendance was way up. We need more Galatians. No, you don't. (laughs) You know what happened is that you had a freak occurrence where the people who come every Sunday and the people who come every other Sunday and the people who come every third Sunday and the people who come every fourth Sunday and they got off kilter and they all happened to hit the same Sunday, you know, because watch it. It'll be down the next week, you know, and it's just that we keep telling ourselves the wrong stories. So we think we're at Q or B or D, and we're never really understanding the point that we're actually at. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think that's so critical. And it's one of the things that I really appreciated about the article and about this conversation thus far is that let's be realistic, right? That there are challenges that we're facing, but there are also great opportunities. And that's one of the things, and I appreciated the pivot that I think the pandemic has given us an opportunity to rediscover why our congregations gather in the first place, that it shouldn't be about habit. It shouldn't be about programs, but there's a greater story that draws people in and it's rediscovering and getting back to that. That's the important part. So actually it's done us a favor in getting our eyes off of those things that were quote unquote working and getting back to why is it that we're gathering in the first place? What are our deepest faith commitments and claims that we think are the most important things in life that draw us together? Yeah, and that's where I think that we can learn some lessons from looking at collective trauma. Let's just stop and acknowledge that we have been through a collective trauma as a society in this pandemic. And what a collective trauma does is it takes the ground that people are standing on and pulls it right out from underneath them. And this can happen during a natural disaster. This can happen through a tragic loss or death. I mean, whenever your world is just taken away from you, what you thought was solid, you have a trauma that you go through. And people who are in circumstance of trauma desperately need someone to come along and help them frame their current story. And I think that's the opportunity, you know, that you're talking about there, Matt, that like, we've had a reset. And now this is the moment when we can turn to our folks and say, this is what's going on. This is how the gospel speaks to this situation. And this is your story now. And that requires two things. One, we have to know a little bit more about their story because you can't help frame someone's life if you have no idea what their life is. So we have to really listen to one another, really listen to the specific pains, specific sufferings. Some people have come out of this pandemic desperately wanting to be with other individuals and others have emerged desperately wanting everyone to step back, you know, and (laughs) give me some space. So you can't just assume one story for an entire congregation. So to take the time to know each person's story and then to frame it with the gospel, because the gospel speaks to every situation. So it speaks to this one as well. If what the church has to offer doesn't work in this situation, then it doesn't work anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to help people frame their current situation using their faith. Give them a tool because they're a little lost and things seem a little uncertain. And so you've got to help them to understand the situation with the framework that's going to give them life. And the really hard thing about all this, though, with our congregations is that what our church leaders want to know most. The question that I get asked most in the follow-up emails that I would get from people after this article was written was, how do we get our numbers back? Mm. How can we increase our numbers? How can we get more people to volunteer? And how can we get them to do this? How can we get our giving back up again? And we just can't go out to people who are suffering with the attitude of like, all right, I'm going to do this for you but this better turn into you putting some money in the offering plate. This better turn into your backside sitting in our pew a couple weeks from now, because if it doesn't turn into that, then I will consider my time with you wasted. We cannot go into it with that attitude, you know? Yeah. It's kind of pointing out where our values really are, buildings, butts, and budgets. And so, It's a good opportunity for congregations to be able to look at themselves and say, what do we really value? Our people and their health or our building and our budget? Oh, yeah. I mean, most churches, if you told any struggling church, I can hit this magic button and increase your Sunday worship attendance by 50% and your giving by 25%. Would you ever ask for help from a consulting firm then? (laughs) No. No. So what that tells me is that like, if you've got people and you've got money, you consider the ministry a success. Yes. Is, is that the point? Because I can actually help you with this. Is that what you do is don't pay a pastor. Pastors are expensive. Like stop paying pastors. And what you do is every person that walks in the door gets $10. Just give them $10. There will be people who will come for $10. 
and they will sit in the pew for 45 minutes and then leave. Just do that. And you will have more people attending. <laughs> and if you play your cards right with, you know, distract people with a few songs and a few prayers and somebody who stands up front for a while, people might actually give to that out of the habit of giving to church. It's just not what we are here to do is attendance. We got to remember that Jesus never invited a single person to church. Mm. And so it obviously isn't church attendance that Jesus was pointing us towards. And I think God wants us to touch hearts. The problem is, is that we got bills to pay. We've got that, that stupid building, but that leak. And then oh, the, when that boiler goes out, we'll have to close the church. Like, I mean, stuff like that. That's what's yeah. weighing on the minds of our church leaders. Yeah. And, you know, that's tough. Yeah. Well, and I so appreciate the shift in emphasis because I think in the faith tradition I grew up in, there wasn't a lot of room for negativity, that there was really no emphasis on lament. We didn't really celebrate Lent as a part of our faith tradition and everything that goes along with that. And so everything is always supposed to be upbeat and positive. But when you run into a situation like we currently have, what do you do when there's no room in your theology for lament and for darkness and for difficulty and everything's supposed to be upbeat and, you know, Easter is right around the corner and celebrating the resurrection. And of course, those are good things. And of course, those are are the hope of Christianity. But when you don't leave room for people's actual emotions and struggles and trials of life, you're not really speaking a language that resonate. And I wonder if that's a piece of this as well, that some people aren't coming back because they don't see any relevance. Because like you said, that we're not speaking to the needs that they have. We're not paying attention to the trauma that has ripped through our society. And so people are asking the question, well, why is this even relevant for me? And pointing appropriately back to the source of Jesus and the Christian faith, that he came to heal and to fix and to you know be with us and to walk with us through dark times. And rediscovering that aspect of it is what will bring people back. I very much appreciated the follow-up article, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you see congregations as a space for a solution to the issues that we're facing, because I think that's the bright spot, that's the hope that we have, and the great opportunity that we have through all of this. Yeah, I think we have to figure out what it is that we have to offer. And I think churches are going to have to go through a couple of different possible transformations to get there. We have, to a great extent, been running some pretty amazing Kiwanis clubs. (laughs) And we just had to just like own that and just say, yeah. But it's never, it's never been without the faith element. It's just the faith element got kind of put to the side. People have discovered that if I can get a lot of this community stuff without having to put up with a lot of the churchy stuff and the demands of coming there and volunteering and doing this and that and we need to identify what it is that we are offering. And please, anyone who's part of a Kiwanis club, don't send me hate mail. I love Kiwanis <laughs> club. I just giving an example as a wonderful service organization in our communities. But I will say that as the church, I think we have something more to offer. And so we got to offer that. And so we've got to help our people understand what that message is and what that faith system is that they're here for. Because if your pews are filled with people who are there out of habit and they just love their little circle of friends that are there, and it's nice to have a place to go every week so they're not alone and bored in their house, then they can get that a lot of places that's not church. So what is the unique thing? And again, this is what I'd say is like, I think even those people who are coming out of habit, who really don't have an understanding of how their faith makes a bit of difference in their lives. They just need a little help reframing because the faith is true and the good news is good. And we just need to say it explicitly and help people find the words for it. And I really think that the three main steps are that we really have to listen to one another. We really just have to take time to listen. Don't try to think about the clever churchy thing to say back to that person Just listen to them, to their pain, to their hope, and get a good understanding of where they are. And that's that, like we talked about before, that point A. What's their point A? Really listen. Because I think that if our churches really understand the pains and the challenges and the joys that are going on in the lives of people, that gives us a good starting point. The second thing is we got to get our Jesus story straight. 
if someone says to you, what is the benefit of your faith? What difference does it make having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You better have an answer for that. Mm. And if your people don't have an answer for that, you better help them. But, you know, for too long, we just thought like, well, you know, it's, we're just glad you're coming, you know, but it's important to help people. Don't just give them the speech about you all should know what you believe and you should do this. Like they don't need finger pointing. They need help. Some of them have been, have been raised in church environments that for 50, 60, 70 years, they were never asked to articulate what they believe. And now suddenly some young pastor pops out of seminary and gives them all a good tongue lashing because they can't go out and witness in aisle three at Walmart. And it's just like, come on, you can't expect that out of them. You got to help them, you know, to be able to tell a story. And then the last thing I'd say is that we got to go out and be the people of God participating and helping and caring for others because it's our radical hospitality. It's our radical grace and love and mercy as Christians that attracts people to us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that if we can really listen for what's going on in people's lives and we've got our story straight and we really have a desire to help folks, then we can be that kind of healing place in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's such an opportunity, not only just the needs that the pandemic has created and the trauma that we've all experienced, but also just the polarization of our culture and how radical would it be Mm -hmm. for us to step out as people of congregations and to be kind and to be, you know, to those that are different from us, that think different from us, to be loving towards them, to seek to care for them and meet their needs. And it's been my understanding that when the church has flourished at its best, it has been because it has been at the forefront of being a positive influence in the world. And so, you know, seeing that kind of thing happen in our current culture would just be such a dramatic shift in the narrative of what congregations are if we were ones attempting to heal the divides and to be kind and to be loving towards those who are on opposite sides of issues than we are. Yeah, I will tell you that I don't meet many church people who say, I just need some more arguments in my life. (laughs) I don't meet people to be like, I need to argue with people more. I mean, I run into people who do argue a lot, but I've never heard anyone identify that as a need in their life. I hear a lot of people say, I just need a break from all the negativity. I need a break from all that. I think the thing that's difficult about this is that we are called to speak into the difficult spaces and to stand up for what is right, for justice, for equity, We want to be on the side of righteousness. And the thing is, is that I think that sometimes we just keep getting dragged into people want to know like, well, what does our church think about this issue? And be careful, pastor, because if you say, A, I will leave and go to that church down the street. And if you say, B, then I will like it here. (laughs) Proceed. You know, and we do that to these pastors and we do these church leaders and we want to force our church board, our church session to make a statement, to make a pronouncement about this particular issue. And I would say that if you want to make a faithful statement towards a particular issue or something that's going on in society, then by all means you should. But we got to also recognize when people are just like waving things in front of us to see if we'll bite at it so that they can get mad and they can, you know, react to it. Most of the time, I think that the people out there want to know what the good news is. And sometimes the good news means speaking release to the captives and freedom to the oppressed, you know, and we need to definitely do that. But let's not just, I mean, let's just get out of the petty arguments, though. I mean, just the little things that people want to get so upset because they're going to change the date of the Advent tea. Or something like that, you know, like, oh, I'm so upset because they're moving our adult Sunday school class to the blue room instead of the green room. And the green room is where we've been for 10 years. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, this is what we're arguing about. (laughs) And yeah, sorry, I'm going to get going on that if if I stay in that too. (laughs) I I need to stay in the hope. (laughs) No, you're fine. I love the line that you say in the blog, the room where it happens. You said, God desires us to be agents of mercy more than robots of ritual. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. And that is just a great way to say it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are often trying to preserve our robotic rituals, mm-hmm. you know, and I like to tell, uh, you know, when congregations want to do some discernment about, you know, what are we going to change about what we're doing at our church is that you got to discern like a three-year-old armed with the mighty one word. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? You know, well, we need to do it this way. Why? And, you know, if you can just keep asking why until you get to an answer that contains words like God, Jesus, or Holy Spirit, that's good. Mm. But if your why doesn't end with the Almighty or the calling that your Savior has for you in your context, then that's something you can get rid of or you can move away from. You know, why? Well, because people really like it. Why do they like it? Well, because it reminds them of blah, blah, blah. Well, why? Why? And there's so much that we're doing out of robotic ritual. Mm. And the trick is, is just getting your congregation on board with the idea that you're there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got to convince your church that your reason is the gospel. And that's not easy. Let's just all take a moment to have some sympathy and some empathy for those church leaders out there who realize that a lot of the folks in their church are not there out of a conviction of their faith, but their faith is in there somewhere. It's part of that. And instead of like beating up our congregations for not meeting that seminary model of what a real congregation should be like, let's think about healing those who are broken. Mm. And why not look at our own people in the pew and say, these folks need some help. So let's help them. Let's help them find their faith as the center of what we're doing so they don't have to lean on robotic ritual the way we've always done it before. Mm. The insecurity of like, maybe no one cares about me anymore. You know, how many times do we hold on to things in our churches because it's going to offend that member if we change it or do anything to it? A lot. Oh, gosh. And when you break it down, what you find out is that Bill over there is insisting that you do this because if you stop doing that, then Bill feels like he has no value in the church anymore. Bill feels like the last 22 years that he's been working with that particular ministry or mission or whatever, if you get rid of it, then what he did was for nothing. Mm-hmm. So let's have some sympathy for Bill. Let's help Bill get on board with the mission and to be more secure in how he is loved and valued within this family of faith, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's such an important and interesting point that, you know, you talk about, it's important to understand the needs of the people that you're serving. And so much of that too, is the needs of the people who are still there. Like, yes, there are those that are not coming back, but there are many who are still here. And what are their needs? How are we getting to know them better and addressing them and discipling them in the right ways so that they can articulate why they believe what they believe and why their faith commitments make a difference in their lives? And so, you know, it's an interesting thing of quit worrying about the people who aren't there and let's focus on those who are still present because that's who you already have an audience with and the opportunity to do something great with. You've nailed it there, Matt. I mean, the majority of people who join a church join because someone invited them. They don't join because they just suddenly divined that your church was the one to try out. You get some people who just wander off the street, who see the church sign, who maybe Googled and decided to give you a try or whatever. But the majority of people, if you ask them, how did you come to this church? Their story will involve someone who invited them or pointed them in the direction of a church, you know? And so when we keep thinking about how are we going to attract new people? It's like, you're going to attract new people by truly helping the ones who are there to know the difference that Jesus makes in their lives. And again, though, it points to the earlier point we were talking about. We're like, if your end point is just attendance and giving, then you look at the people who are coming every Sunday and you go, well, they're done. They're done. Like, there's nothing more to do with Bill over there because Bill's here every week and Bill gives fairly generously. So we think Bill's done. Mm. And we stop ministering to Bill unless Bill goes into the hospital 
unless Bill goes through some type of tragedy, we're done with Bill. But Bill is not over the finish line. We, you know, we say in our liturgy for funerals that I use, I say, this person whose baptism is now complete in death. Mm-hmm. The people's baptisms are still working upon them. And we need to think about what does Bill need in his journey of faith? And let's continue to minister to Bill because then Bill might go to his buddy Ray that he has coffee with down at McDonald's every Thursday morning and go, Ray, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I went through something similar, but I found that in my life through my church that I actually can make it through those times because of the relationship I have with God. And we have an amazing church that helps you do that. You got to come with me this Sunday. Just come, you know, and hang out. And because I think it could really make a difference in your life. That's how Ray is going to show up at your church because Bill had his life transformed. But we have got to stop treating attendance and giving like it's the goal of our ministry. Mm-hmm. It's just the easily measured metric. Yes. Yes, it is. You know, I think the thing that breaks my heart a little bit is when an older member of the church will say to me, I just wish that my son would go to church more often. I just wish that my son would go to church more often. And it breaks my heart a little bit because it means their son is not going to church. But it also breaks my heart a little bit because the goal seems to be to just get him to attend. Mm -hmm. And how many times has a pastor heard someone say, I just wish that my son had a stronger relationship with Jesus Christ. I just wish that my son had a stronger faith. We've taught people to make attendance the goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we just need to like, we just need to change that. Yeah. Yeah, And it also seems to be the sense that it's the pastor's job to take care of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, and we've lost that sense that we all are, you know, in the Christian tradition, we are all bearers of the gospel of the good news. But we have the sense of like, no, I need to bring him to church because then it's the pastor's job. It's the pastor's problem. It's not my problem. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's the point A that we're at. And the point B is to have a mobilized set of disciples within a church. And again, you get a pastor who pops into a congregation, takes one look at him and says, you don't match what I learned about in seminary. (laughs) And so let me just tell you what you're doing wrong. You should be doing this more often. You should be doing that more often. And let's just acknowledge that where people are is that they're in a model that suggests that the pastor is the professional Christian that they are paying to do the work. And instead of beating them up, say, look, we must have ran church in a way that made this, right? Every church does ministry exactly the way that it is designed, the way the church has been designed, the way it has set up to do ministry. So if your church is filled with folks that think the pastor should do all the work, then somebody led them to believe that, you know? And so we have to just ease it into something else. Just ease it there, you know, but that's hard work and it takes time. And all these churches, I don't care if it is a 2000 member church or a 20 member church, we are all steering ocean liners, you know, and they do not turn on a dime, (laughs) you know, and we just need to say, okay, I know the turn that we need to make. What's our first step? Mm -hmm. What's the one little thing we can do? And let's put a series of little steps and have the patience to give people the grace to turn slowly. Yep. So, Rob, as we come close to the end of our time here, what's some encouragement that you would give to congregational leaders who are listening to this? And what might be maybe some of those modest next steps or grace that they can take with them? Oh, there is all kinds of signs of hope. So the first one is, hey, we're on the winning team, right? If God's with us, who could stand against us, right? Like that stuff is actually true. So we've got the best message that's ever been created and we're with God. So like, just stop for a moment and sit in that and realize that. Also, I think that we're in a time right now where you can connect with so many other people. And I think that through organizations such as yours and through social media and through various other online resources, you can connect to so many other folks. You do not have to be alone in this Mm -hmm. because what's so hard for church leaders is that when you only have the local pastor group 
to get ideas from or exchange things with, or you have your own congregational leaders. It's such a small bubble to be inside of, but we are in a time where you can reach out across the world and get some encouragement, get some ideas. So I just think that like you have so many resources, you have the best message in the world and you do not have to turn the entire ship to make any progress on this. You have the power as the leader of the congregation, as the pastor or as a church leader or whatever your role is within the congregation, super volunteer, whatever you are in your church, you have the power to give a witness. And I think we should never underestimate the power of a faithful witness. Because just think about it. Probably so many people listening to this right now can think of one person in their church who's inspiring. Mm -hmm. That one person who just serves with such a, a servant heart. That one person who's always visiting folks. So that one person who's always ready to pray for you, you know, you can be that. Just say, I will make my witness one that is positive, that is centered on the gospel, that is ready to help others. And then all you have to do is invite someone to do it with you. Come with me, pray with me, help me unload that truck. Let's go have coffee with so-and-so, because I know that they've been having a really tough time. And that's how we build a movement. It's by just making your witness and inviting someone to come alongside. And we just can't let the big problems, the big picture overwhelm us. We just start small. Mm -hmm. And there's so much, so much possibility in that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Reverend Rob Dyer, thank you so much. And if folks want to follow you, are there any places where they can find you in social media or websites? You can follow me on Instagram, Pastor Rob Dyer. When you go to the blog, there's a link there to send a message directly to me. I'm happy for people to reach out to me. Um, the email address is rob.dyer at ministryarchitects.com, which I strongly suspect will show up in some type of write up about this podcast so people will be able to get that easier. <laughs> but I don't mind people emailing me. I also want you to know that Ministry Architects, which is the group that I do consulting through, offers free 30-minute consultations. So you can just get on the phone with one of the consultants and just talk about your situation. And maybe there's an opportunity for Ministry Architects to be a help to someone, but they also don't mind just having those conversations. So I just want to make sure people know about that resource as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that very much. And we'll make sure to include your email address and the link to Ministry Architects in general in the show notes. So if folks want to reach out, we're big fans of Ministry Architects. A lot of congregations that we're aware of have worked with them and we know that they do good work. So thanks again, Reverend Rob Dyer, for being here. We really appreciate your time and thank you for your thoughts. I've enjoyed being here with you all. It's been a lot of fun. It's always fun getting to sit back and listen to interviews that I'm not part of. So I thought that you and Shelly did an excellent job. And Shelly's just a great co-host in general. But Matt, what were some of your major takeaways from that interview and that conversation? There were a lot of things, Ben, and I'm not really even sure what I want to focus on other than the overarching message of understanding why your community exists. Why are you there? I think that's often an overlooked question, and I really appreciated his analogy of the Kiwanis Club. And again, no shade on Kiwanis. But do we exist just because we provide programs that people want to come and be a part of? Or are we really offering something that is key to understanding the meaning of life and how to walk through life? I think that's such a critical point that have we lost sight of that which we claim is the most important thing. And instead of focusing on that, just focusing on making sure that we get people to show up. I think that's such an important question. And there's no question about the intentions of congregations. Mm -hmm. So I'm not questioning the intentions. But as we get on autopilot, sometimes we forget the reason why we're doing something in the first place. Yeah. And I think that's an absolutely critical thing to sit back and really chew on. You know, I think congregations try to do that with strategic planning and mission statements every few years. I think there's an attempt to circle back to that. 
But I wonder if those processes are so formal that even those are more organizational in nature really than theological Mm -hmm. or really reflective about human experience. Yeah. You know, I keep going back to how you started that response with the phrase, no shade on Kiwanis. I thought to myself, when we started this podcast, did I ever think we'd have to put a disclaimer out there like that? No shade on Kiwanis International, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember the humor. Funny moment to me. But I think you're right there. And what stood out to me is his invitation to return to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because that can mean radically different things to different congregations. Mm-hmm. And I've been part of congregations that really stress their their frame, their interpretation, their view of the gospel message. And there are others, other congregations who I know have a very different view, but it's not necessarily stressed. And so I get what he's saying in that like, hey, we've got to return to the central message of the faith in essence. Yet, I think even understanding what that central gospel message is that people are supposed to be rallying around could be really difficult for some congregations, actually potentially any congregation, because even within a congregation, you're going to have different interpretations and understanding of, if not the central message, how the message is supposed to be carried out and played out. So yeah, just the idea of what it means to get back to the gospel is really fascinating to me as like a thought experiment for different communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because as you rightly point out, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different communities and even to a lot of different people. And I appreciated his challenge of do the people in your congregation know how to articulate why their faith is important to them? Mm. And I would contend that sometimes we get so lost in the busyness of congregational life and programs that even the leadership may have lost touch with what that means and what that is. Why is it that our faith makes such a difference? And rediscovering and understanding and being able to articulate that I think is so important because that's why you exist. That is the purpose for your congregation is to be a place where the gospel, the good news, whatever that means for your congregation is supposed to be spoken about, but also lived out in society Monday through Saturday or outside of your worship experiences. I think that's our assumption about congregation. I don't believe that's actually the purpose of some congregations. And I'm thinking specifically here I mean, I was going to say, don't be mad at me. You can be mad at me. It's fine. But I'm thinking about specifically Mennonite congregations. And as I've experienced some of them, it seems pretty evident to me that the central purpose initially was actually probably to gather together, to have a space where they could come together, share culture, share practices, and just be around other Mennonites in a safe space. Did faith tie them together? Yes, absolutely. But The community aspect is at least as important, if not sometimes more important, I think, for that group. And I know the Mennonites aren't the only group for which that is true. And so I would even want to challenge congregations to not even make the assumption that there is a explicit, like, quote unquote, biblical gospel reason that their congregation formed. I'm sure that's there. But what other reasons might be alongside that? And how much value are you putting on those compared to the gospel message? What do you do with all that? You know, I think there are multiple reasons a community could come into existence and multiple reasons it could stay in existence. But again, those are the complexities of actually wrestling with the question behind the question, as you say, Matt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let me push back a little bit on that, Ben, that is not the gathering together and the appreciation of the people in your circle and the people in your community is that not part of what the good news means, is that we come together because we love one another, we care for one another, and we support and encourage one another, and that's an element of the gospel or the good news. And perhaps we've lost the understanding of what a full-orbed good news gospel means because we look at it as a very narrow definition. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. And it gets back to our earlier point about Unpacking what the gospel means is going to have different things for different communities. But yeah, I think that could absolutely be the case. Yeah, because for some, it may be the gathering of those who are a part of the congregation. But for others, the most important aspect may be the external focus of taking care of those who are sick, taking care of those in prison, taking care of the widow and the orphan, as the Christian scriptures talk about. And community happens in that setting, but that may not be the primary emphasis. But it's also understanding good news, in my opinion, in a much broader perspective. I lived an impoverished life of faith when I had a narrow definition of gospel or good news. Mm, And it wasn't until later in life that 
I really pushed on those definitions and expanded those definitions that I was able to live a more fulfilled life because gospel means so much more than what I was initially taught when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I love that you've been able to expand those definitions over the years. I think it's a beautiful practice, really hard work again, but when you can walk in that expansion, yeah, there's a beauty and a liberation to it. Yeah. And I mean, is that not the nature of the divine? That as we think about God, God is infinite and therefore encompasses all things, right? Yeah. And in fact, the New Testament uses that phrase about all things and Christ gathering all things to himself. And I think sometimes we miss out on that expansive understanding of our faith and we narrowly define it. And often because of doctrinal differences, right, that we have these doctrinal distinctives. Yeah. And so we take those and say, well, no, this is good news, but not that, because this is how we define it. And that's fine. You know, there are differences of opinion and there are differences in emphasis. And I personally think that shows the beauty of the infinite God that has graced us with his love and presence and chooses to give us good news, that we just as individual people, individual organizations embody that in a slightly different way. But I think we need all of those different pieces together to really gain a picture of the infinite divine. But remembering that those doctrinal distinctives are not the fullness, they're not everything. And if we think they are, I think we're misguided. I mean, this conversation is making me think of the distinction between orthodoxy and orthopraxis. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing that getting back to the gospel could be an ideological, theological question of orthodox beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be a question of what is orthodox practice? What is our right practice mm-hmm. versus what is our right belief? And both of those questions are probably important, but sometimes we might get a little too askew and lean into one over the other. But as congregations, as communities are asking these questions or trying to figure out what brings us here and what keeps us together, it is probably both a question of practice and belief. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think the evangelical Christian culture has seen some real backlash because evangelical Christian culture, I think, was more on the spectrum towards orthodoxy, mm-hmm. right belief, yeah. and kind of had an impoverished orthopraxy or right practice. And so a lot of the people who were raised in that tradition began kind of raising their hands and asking the question, well, what does that mean for how I live my life? Yeah. And there wasn't really an answer to that. And so I think that's why there's been this high level of deconstruction and a lot of people out there calling themselves ex-evangelicals, not because they've left their faith, but they wanted to understand how does this right thinking about God and the Bible translate into how I behave and act in the world, because I don't see how those two things work together. And their life experience didn't match up with the things that they were taught was right belief. And so that caused dissonance that they had to explore and had to understand, because at some point you have to reconcile those two things that I have this set of beliefs, but then I have this set of life experiences, and they're not going together very well. And this is one of the great things that theologians have put together, what they call the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So John Wesley, you know, who was the founder of the Methodist denomination, said, you know, we need scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. Mm -hmm. And for something to be true, it needs to hit the litmus test of all four of those different things, that it needs to be, you know, found or at least implied in scripture, It needs to be something that is logical or reasonable, something that is part of the faith tradition that's been handed down, but also something that's part of our experience. And so the balancing act of all four of those pieces to arrive at truth, and I think some congregations are too far on the side of orthodoxy, some are too far on the side of orthopraxy, and we need to figure out where we're at on that spectrum and then try to correct back to where we have both as a full picture of what it means to live a life of faith. Something else that I'm thinking about, but it it seems to be the case that if congregations are doing the really difficult work of asking the why question and exploring the why behind the why, then they may get to a point where they realize they not only have to shift, but maybe even close or leave a building or Mm. disband entirely. I was talking to a pastor who made the decision before Christmas to just disband the congregation. Now they might be starting up again, but but that was a hard decision. And so I just want to acknowledge the very real truth that these questions could lead to that outcome. And, and I think 
that might be why we avoid them so much because we don't like endings and the loss that could come with it. Um, but that is a real possibility. And I just want to name that for folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's bad, which may seem like a strange thing to say, but I really don't think it's bad. I really believe that things come for a time. You know, everything happens for a time, for a season. And as people who are finite, we do our best to resist that. But change is inevitable. And sometimes we have to let one season go so that we can step into what the next season is. And we don't know what it is. And that's what's terrifying. But I think that is actually the work sometimes is living in the loss, letting the season change come, letting go of what we've been holding on to so that our imagination can be pricked and we can listen for what the spirit might be calling us into. So even in saying it may mean an end for a congregation or the loss of a building or some other really hard transition, I think that's okay. And our job is to have the courage and hopefully the wisdom to step into that, to hold space for that pain, that loss, and then be open to our next why. And that all feels like it's part of this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, let's turn our attention to resources. And two of the things that we'll have linked in the show notes are the articles written by Pastor Dyer. We're also going to include a link to a version of the Wesleyan Quadrilateral for those who might be interested in taking a look at that. And uh, we'll add a couple of other resources. Ben, what did you want to bring to the table for more information on this topic for folks? So there's a resource on the CRG called The Challenges and Opportunities of Our Current Reality, A Look Toward the Post-Pandemic Church. It's an article, and the article talks about five major muscles that congregations need to stretch, especially if they're wrestling with being a virtual church. And those five major muscles are grieving well, discerning purpose, walking alongside, decentralizing power, and expanding imagination. And I think at least three of those five really fit well into the theme of this episode of kind of asking the question behind the question, getting back to the purpose that our congregation exists and to the reason people would come join us anyway. You know, discerning purpose, expanding imagination, and decentralizing power all seem to be helpful tools that congregations can use or maybe helpful lenses they can use to look at this question of, okay, why are we coming and what is keeping us together? So that's the article that I'm going to put in the show notes for us to explore. Nice. Sounds like a really helpful framing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. What do you got for us today? So mine is a, kind of an oldie but a goodie, and I think I've recommended the book on a prior podcast. So I'm going to recommend the podcast. It's TEDx from Puget Sound back from 2009. It's Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but he's the author of Start With Why. And I think he just does such a good job of encapsulating the necessity of the question of purpose for organizations. And so if you find the 18-minute TED Talk inspiring and interesting, maybe you want to check out his book as well. But I just think it's a really good introduction of trying to think back to what's the purpose, why do we exist? And granted, he's coming at it from the standpoint of kind of marketing and businesses and advertising, but I think it's actually very relevant as well to congregations, not in a way that's disingenuous, but a way that asks the question, why is it that we exist as an organization? I think it's important to understand that. Yeah, and he helps, I think, offer examples of what it means to ask the question of why and explain how he got to that central question we need to be dealing with. So yeah, I agree. I think that's a useful video. Cool. So we hope you'll check out those resources as well as all of the other resources that we have on the CRG, T-H-E-C-R-G.org. It's a search engine that has the best resources that we've found over the last five, six, seven years on various topics related to congregational life. You can just type in leadership, you can type in youth ministry, young adult ministry, and find really good resources. And note that these are resources that we have come up with independently just in our research on behalf of congregations that we are big fans of and just think that they're really, really beneficial and helpful. So we ask you to go ahead and check that out. Absolutely. And we also want to thank the generosity of the Lilly Endowment for making the work that we do possible and making this podcast possible. So we appreciate their support and we appreciate the hard work that our editor Jaden Lee puts into making us sound intelligible, maybe even occasionally intelligent. So thank you so much, Jaden.
if you only knew how much um Jaden uh got rid of the uh the ticks and you know the the uh, other things that we say and Jaden make sure you leave all that in it's remarkable <laughs> he makes us sound real smart he does and we want to encourage you if you'd like to stay up to date on what's happening at the center for congregations you can definitely check out our website you can also follow us on social media at the center for congregations on facebook or instagram and if you find this content helpful and interesting, we'd encourage you to go ahead and give us a five-star rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. That helps other people be able to find the podcast and find the information. So if you think it's helpful, we'd ask you to go ahead and do that. If you didn't think it was helpful, that's okay. You don't have to leave a review. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't even bother. You got other stuff to do. Just chill. You're too busy. And we do want to do our geographic shout-out of the week. So big shout-out to our listener, who listened on February 9th in Napa, California. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate hey, that download. Napa, California. Thanks for listening. Love the West Coast. And as always, you can reach out to us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org if you have thoughts on future episodes, if you have questions for us, or even if you just want us to help you out and finding some resources or information yourself, we're here to help do that. So you can reach out at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Thank you all for joining us this week. As always, we hope you appreciated the episode. We hope you've been appreciating the bonus content we've been putting out too. So if you've been listening to that, let us know what you think about it. And if you want it to continue, um, if you have ideas for other episodes or other guests, you can please email us. We always love suggestions and ideas, but we appreciate you joining us. And until next time, I'm Ben Tapper. And I'm Matt Burke. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.